This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 77, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today we're talking with Dan Enfault for part two of our Hunting the Wind DIY Report mini-series and we're covering Hunting the Wind in Hill Country, so stay tuned. All right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. You are listening to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 77. And today we are doing part number two of Hunting the Wind with Mr. Dan Enfault. And uh, today we'll be covering Hunting the Wind in Hill Country. If you listened to part number one, which we launched two weeks ago, it was uh, we, we had covered hunting the wind in, in, in farm country. And so we're going to roll into into hill country, which is something, you know, for me that I uh, kind of listen to intently because I hunt a fair amount of hill country. Um, of course, hunt some farm country as well. And, you know, back home with some of the family farms and stuff. And then, you know, part three, we'll be diving into um, hunting the wind in the uh, in swamps. Um, which is something new for me because I'm, I'm, you know, giving that a whirl this year, doing my first uh, swamp hunt. And in fact, today I actually went out. Well, today is uh, is Sunday. I'm actually recording this on Sunday. I actually had a chance to make it out and do a quick scout of that swamp, um, which was cool. It a lot of good sign. You know, it, it, it a lot of I, I shouldn't say good sign. There was a lot of sign. It remains yet to be seen whether or not it turns out to be good sign or not. Um, it's, it's heavily, heavily used areas. Um, it, there's a, there's a ton of trails in there, a, a fair amount of buck sign that was in there, but you know, the bummer is that the buck sign is, is old. Now there was some good buck sign that was old. It looked like there at one point there had been some hammers in there. 
um, which is, you know, of course, nice to nice to know just from a historical perspective. But I didn't really see anything as far as Buck sign that really tripped my trigger. Um, you know, we'll we'll just kind of wait and see how things play out. And in all truthfulness, this is kind of a new, you know, is a new property, 100%. Just got access to it, you know, just a handful of weeks ago and had the first opportunity to take a sachet through it today. Um, and it's probably by and large going to be a doe property uh, where I'm hopefully going to do some freezer filling here in the early part of the season, because here in the eastern part of PA and, and a few of the uh, WMUs, uh, the season will open on, I believe it's the 15th of September. So, you know, before I kind of get hot and heavy in, into some of the, you know, the farm, the family farms back home and so forth, you know, I'll kind of use those or hunt those whenever I have the better better weather days and better opportunities and, and kind of make strategic strikes uh, on those properties. You know, still, you know, I don't want to be sitting at home, you know, during hunting season if I can help it and go out and do some hunting. So I really tried this year to have a couple of different places that I could go that were close by, uh, close to where I live, to where I could get out on a weekend or even maybe a quick, you know, quick hunt after work, you know, or if I work from home that day, you know, kind of take off, you know, cut out as early or as early as I possibly can and get into the woods and do a little bit of hunting. So this place isn't too far from my home. So that's really what this piece is for. If it ends up being more than that, then that's awesome. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to fill some, fill some, uh, fill up the freezer space a little bit with this, uh, with this property and everything that I saw today tells me that I can probably, uh, get that done, but let's not delay here. The, uh, the purpose of today's podcast, I definitely want to get to Dan's conversation. Cause as, as we all kind of know, Dan is just a, a full of a ton of information, um, of course, drops a ton of great information during the course of this podcast. But before we jump into that, let's take a quick second to talk about our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. We are brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. You buy it once, you buy it for life. And right now, when you visit WickedTreeGear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. We're also brought to you by by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The new Exodus Trek is a byproduct of all consumer voices who have been excited about what Exodus trail cameras have to offer but just can't fit a $200 camera in their budget, and that's okay. A budget-friendly camera backed by the industry's leading warranty is here. The Trek comes in at $145. It has the same proprietary shell design as the Lift Series cameras, same five-year warranty, Killer unmatched customer service, 0.7 second trigger speed, photo, video, time lapse, and hybrid modes, all with a single, simple, single line backlit LED display. You also get about 20,000 images on a set of lithium batteries. And if you'd like to learn more about Exodus trail cameras, visit them at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you like what you see, save yourself 20 bucks and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout. We're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. Everything is bigger and better in Texas, maybe. No matter if you're in the north, south, midwest, northeast, Tecamani has your food plot seed needs covered. Visit tecamani.com and check out their product selector tool to help pick the right seed for your food plots. Use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20%. I actually just put the Wicked Greens in the food plot on the new property, and it's been in for two weeks. My dad actually just paid it a visit, and it looks killer. It's actually coming up. looks great. We've actually had a really timely rain this, this time of year. 
which has been really helpful. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that thing come to come to full fruition. We're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. Promo code TRUTH at checkout. Save yourself 20%. And now without further ado, let's go ahead and get Dan Enfault on the line. All right, folks, welcome back to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. You're listening to the DIY Report miniseries, part number two, with one big buck serial killer, Dan Enfault. How you doing, buddy? Doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing good. You, you uh, L-I-V-I-N, living without the G? That's living hard, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> awesome. So... Today we are doing part two. Uh, part one, what you guys had heard previously was uh, was Dan kind of really kind of going into some information about hunting the wind on farm country and all the variables. You know, the one thing that was apparent to me that is a, a strong takeaway for me at least is that you know, being mindful that bucks are betting on the edge, and that's something that I've not always kind of adhered to, and it was going to just about blow up in my face this year. So I'm glad that we covered that in part one, but today we're rolling on to part number two and we're talking about hunting hill country. And I know, you know, me personally, I do a fair amount of hill country hunting, especially whenever I'm heading out to Ohio, I'll get into a little bit more terrain. And I know that definitely when you get out into, you know, your neck of the woods, you know, you definitely have some hill country to kind of contend with. And there's all types of, uh, of fun wind dynamics to, uh, to play with and, and, and try to combat, uh, when, when, when you're doing that. So, you know, I guess let's just start off at the top here and, and talk about, you know, when you're walking into hill country, right, there's, as I mentioned, there's a lot of different things you have to kind of take into consideration, potentially, with the different, you know, terrain features and the highs here, the lows here, the thermals rising, falling, etc. You know, what are some examples of, of different variables that you're going to look for in hill country to try to get a, a, a wind advantage? And we'll kind of assume that we've kind of targeted and know where we have some bucks bedded. Uh, the biggest thing for me is access. Uh, hill country is so difficult um, because of the multiple winds at once and because of uh, the axis. I mean, like a low axis. You come in from the bottom in a tight valley, every deer that's there knows you're there because your thermals are going to rise up all those hills and they're going to smell you. Um, and they're bedded up there to look downhill. So low axis is usually tough. You really have to know where you're going and what you're trying to avoid. Um, and a lot of times I try to get right back up a hill quick. Uh, so I like high axis if I can. I like to come in from above um, where it's a little more consistent. Okay. Is is that now, is that specifically for morning and evening or is that just in general? Do you prefer to have, have high access? Well, it's more for evening. Um, morning you can get away with a lot more. You know, if, you, you know, if you're coming from food or whatever. I mean, they're going to swing downhill. They come in from the bottom to bed in the morning, but uh, they're not necessarily always in the bottom. You don't know exactly where they're going to be in the, the morning. Right, and that's that's interesting, man. Because you would, it's uh, a lot of folks. I'm imagining probably access from the bottom, right? Because that's you know usually where our road will drop you off. Will be on the bottom, and it takes a lot of effort, extra effort to get into a, a top position to be able to enter your stand location from the top right and that's well, it depends just, on where you're at there is, there is a lot of places that have top access too um but but it is interesting i'm sure it rose a lot of eyebrows and people are like well what am i supposed to do now <laughs> right <laughs> sprout wings you, you know and right? i've yeah. got that too i mean i've got properties where i go in from low access and, and hunt them um 
there's a couple in general that I can think of right off the bat where when you get out of your car, um, those bucks are bedded watching you from the hilltops right alongside the parking lot. And there's, geez, I can think of a handful of public land hill country properties that I hunt that are exactly like that. The biggest buck that's on the property is always watching the parking lot. And nobody goes up there. They go down the valley and, and out. And that one I get away with by going past the deer, going in a huge circle, and coming up from the side, you know. Um, and I've had a lot of success doing that. Right. And that's that's interesting because it's like I'm catching a theme. You know, if, if I were going to say I'm finding themes or, or, or patterns, it's, you know, we, when we talked in farm country a little bit, you also talked about that side access because of where the bucks are going to be bedded. You know, they're if they have the wind in the front or the back, like you're, you're pretty much screwed trying to get in either way. So you have to kind of come in from the side. And what I'm hearing is, is if your only option is low access, right? You either want to do it quickly or you want to kind of go past where you're hunting or where you're planning to hunt or where that deer is bedded. And you want to come in from a side angle or from the side in general in that regard too, right? Right. And if you know that buck's either smelling or watching you, you want to be on the same axis everybody takes. So it doesn't alarm them. Uh, that's now you start getting off to some place off to the side, and they start freaking out. I can remember uh, one buck I was hunting for two years. He always bedded in this one spot on a west wind. And uh, whenever I'd go in there, he was in his bed. You know, he he could see me from his bed probably 75 yards from where I walked in. But I walked in on a dirt uh, road that everybody took. It was a dirt farm road that separated fields from an old overgrown pasture and he was bedding in the pasture that no longer had cattle or anything and there's kids that would ride their bicycles up that every day there's people that walked their dogs up it and he's bedded like 75 yards from there and i can remember one day his tracks were were on that road and i knew he was bedding there because i was glassing him from observation points and stuff and i walked off that trail took a couple steps into the field i mean maybe 10 feet into that pasture just to look at the, the tracks in the wet ground, mm-hmm. walk back to that road, walk up to my, my stand, and I could see the buck get out of his bed. Now, this is a mature buck. Walk like he did every day up to that field edge. And when he got to where I walked off of that road, he freaked out and ran out of there, snorting. Huh. Now, this is a buck that crossed my central 50 different times. Right. And never even looked like he cared. But when I stepped off that access trail, so that's why that's huge to stay on that trail if you're down in the bottom where your thermals are going to him or if he's watching you. Because he's just going to think you're just like everybody else. You know, threat. That's interesting. You know, it, it, you almost want to mimic a, a dummy deer hunter <laughs> to a degree. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's awesome. I would have never thought to do that. You know, I would have probably, yeah, I would have blown that hunt up. <laughs> for sure i've been like you know i'm gonna be smarter than everybody else i'm not gonna take this road and uh no. you know last year i had a, a lot of luck by trying something new on a property i've hunted before and that was to actually set up right on the hiking trails where i knew the big bucks crossed them from their bedding because i knew they were crossing them in daylight regardless of people and i had a lot more action doing that they'd walk right across my scent trails yeah i was just sitting up <laughs> hey, right in, uh, right over the hiking trails that went back into this property. <laughs> That's amazing. Where the big bucks would cross, and and I had a lot of action. It's funny you. It's funny you mentioned that. So there was a piece of there was a piece of public ground that was here on the eastern part of PA, and it was in this uh, big state park. 
and it was you know there was some nice elevation changes which is why i kind of chose to check it out i went in and kind of scouted it and uh didn't go back until you know the opening of the of the season had a decent weather day hopped in there had no clue what i was going to see right um was sitting about three quarters of the way quarters of the way up this ridge and uh and there was a hiking trail that walked back and this is what remind that's what reminded me of it and i was literally maybe i don't know i was maybe 20 yards off that hiking trail and rate you know probably about five o'clock i guess five five thirty three shooter bucks came rolling by just out of range they were in some brush so i didn't get a shot at them but it was just it that kind of reminded me of that because i always kind of wondered i was like now why did i see those deer that are walking along a hiking trail i was like i would figure they would completely avoid that but mm-hmm. to your point it's they've just kind of gotten used to that's that area is not a threat because anyone walking down it's not trying to kill anything all right so that's interesting man so you know, the one thing, you know, hunting hill country for me, it's like there's always, you know, it's you always hear guys and you know, I'm, I've experienced this where it's like you'll have the wind kind of hit you in the face one second and in the back of the neck the next, you know, so it's always kind of a, a consistency issue. You know, you know, in your opinion, I, know, I won't say your opinion, in your experience, you know, what have you kind of found that dictates the, the consistency of the wind in hill country or the lack of consistency in hill country? Well, the the problem with hill country is the wind and thermals are always fighting each other. And uh, when it's not a strong thermal, where it's not completely the thermal pulling, for you'll have a breeze and the wind's going one way. And then when it gets calm, the wind you're getting hit by is actually a thermal. You know, and uh, one of the big things, uh, uh, you, you know, um, getting back to, even when you were doing farm country on the last podcast, right. you get to an opening in the woods, and we used to call those the toilet bowls because the wind would spin in there. You know, no matter what way it came from, it would, it would swirl around in there. And uh, the only way you could hunt those is by not hunting the edge of it. And everybody wanted to hunt the edge of it because of all that sign. So, I mean, you got to look at where that, you know, turmoil of wind is, and you got to set up um, with that in mind. You got to be able to read that land and look at what the wind's going to do. So, so everyone's going to want to set the edge because that's where all the sign is. So, in that instance, where are you kind of looking to to set up to try to? Well, it, it depends on the edge and what the wind's doing. Like, if the wind's going over the top of a tree line and it's open on the other side, you know, you think you get the wind of your back blowing out of that woods across that that opening, right? Right. But you don't. Because you're up in a tree, and the wind's going over the top, and there's a vacuum effect, and it's going to tumble back down and roll back around. Just think of water rushing over that. If water was rushing over the top of them trees really fast, there'd be an eddy right there, right? Right, right. yeah. The same thing wind does. So you want to be back into that timber a little bit, and you might not necessarily want to be at the top where you're getting that wind stream that is going to tumble. That's interesting. So you want to set back a little bit because it's going to suck your your scent forward. Is and I just want to make sure I'm getting the physics of this right. It's going to suck your wind forward, kind of regardless of where you're at to a degree. But what you're trying to do is set, it, you're trying to set about up like this for a second. No matter what happens when you when that wind hits an object, it's, it doesn't just blow through it. It's going to do the same thing as if water hit a rock in a stream. Um, and the reason I've gotten so good at this. I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but it's because I use milkweed all the time. And you start getting the, the, seeing the same effects over and over again every time you hunt a certain terrain. And I am constantly checking those wind currents. 
And I think some people just check the wind direction and then they, you know, they don't care anymore. Or they're checking it with a string or a powder or something and they're not seeing that flow. When you watch that stuff flow and you see how it reacts, it's an aha moment. And if you learn from that and you're doing it all the time, it's really something. So when that wind goes over a tree line, so you got a tree line, it's open on one side, it's solid woods on the other, especially if there's leaves, like in early season. When it blows over, the top of those trees are blowing. You're being that woods is calm, right? Down at ground level. But over the top of the trees is blowing. When it goes over that, that tree line, it's going to suck back. There's going to be a swirl there, just like an eddy in a river. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's funny, and I know you're you know you use milkweed, right? And I started using it two years ago, and and this is like honest to god, no lie. It's I used to have an issue of getting busted frequently in the stand prior to that. I would set up on what I thought was the right wind, and like I'd be damned if I didn't get deer like close to within range, and then all of a sudden, you know, they would they would blow out of there, and I and I knew that they were winding me, but I just couldn't figure out how. Started using the milkweed, you know, <laughs> per your recommendation. And have not been busted by the deer that I was hunting in in two years, which has been a game changer for me because I've been able to get so much closer and have way more encounters than I had previously. And it's all because I'm watching that wind, like you're suggesting, where is it hitting whenever I'm in the tree stand? Like, I don't care what it's doing at my location. And that's kind of what you're saying, right? It's like when you're setting up for that, it's like you're watching that milkweed knowing what it's going to do. And there's a, there's a vacuum effect that's happening. So, you know, the wind might be rushing over my back. But I know that the wind isn't going to hit directly out in front of me. It's going to hit somewhere. It's going to hit somewhere else, wherever that vacuum effect yep. is taking it. Right. So, no, that's in, that's interesting, man. So it's like right. I need to I need to try and to rem- remember that. Another thing uh, is little hills will do the same thing. I've seen ten foot high hills that when the wind blows over it, there's a vacuum effect down at ground level. Uh, there's one spot on uh, on the farm I hunt down the street where there is a hill that is about 10, 15 feet high, a small little ridge where otherwise it's flat. When the wind, west wind blows over that hill, I can stand on the, the food plot below that, and I got the wind hitting me in the face, but I can drop milkweed by my feet and watch it suck up that hill to the beds. And that's a 10-foot hill. It has nothing to do with thermals because of how low it is. It's the vacuum effect of that wind whipping over the top of that hill. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. That's crazy. I, I don't know if this was in hill country, but I heard you talk about an instance one time where you were hunting with a buddy of yours and he was in this one stand location and it, it may have been Mario. I, I don't remember exactly who it was. And he kept getting blown up in this one stand and it was a prime stand location and he was dropping milkweed at his like chest level, right? To figure out what was happening. And then all of a sudden he changed cause he was like, I don't know why, but like it's, it's, it's just not reading right. He dropped it from his head, and all of a sudden the wind did something completely different. He was able to hunt that stand at that point. Right. And he moved his stand. It was uh, Andre Diaquisto. It was Andre. Um, okay, sorry. Yeah, he, he. It was a stand on a uh, field edge, but on a ridge edge where he cut a hole into the ridge. And it's a really thick 
ridge and he kept getting busted there because you had to hunt it on that leeward side and it was the only tree you could really get into mm-hmm. and um when he dropped that milkweed it just stuck right into that hole he cut it would just <laughs> suck right down there and then he tried you know he could feel the wind on the back of his neck blowing over it so he dropped the milkweed over his head and like you said it blew over the trees so he raised that stand about eight or ten feet to nosebleed heights. I mean, that <laughs> thing is high. Right. But uh, he never got busted again. And I actually shot a really big old eight-pointer out of that same tree. Um, and same thing, the wind was blowing completely wrong, but it was blowing over the top of those trees. Right. And my lesson that I learned from that was when a spot's not working for you, don't just assume that the spot doesn't work. Right. It's like try to figure out the why. Right, because all it took right. was him changing where he was dropping it from, you know, to figure out why this, you know, why the wind was doing what it was doing, and from what it sounds like, that was a hammer spot, and you don't want to give it up because you can't figure out the wind. Now the nosebleed seats, that's a that's a tough that's a tough hunt. You know, I might have to. Uh, I'm not sure if I could climb that high, but uh, for the right deer, I think I would. <laughs> but uh, so I think yeah, you know, you know, a lot of people don't get this about me. I don't think that you know. There's a lot of people that are up to pretty close to my level on hunting, but they don't do near as good. And I think the huge advantage that I have is I look at a spot going in real slow and I'm deciding how the wind's going to go, what's going to happen, how's this going to work. And I get my setups right. A lot of times I think I got to be in the exact spot I got to be in. And I think other people just haphazardly walk in there and set up a tree stand and they're in the same area, the right area, but they're not killing that buck because of the way they set up. A lot of times for me, it's 10 more feet and I'm jumping him out of his bed. 10 feet back and I'm not seeing him. I'm not getting a daylight shot. And if I get too high, he's seeing me, you know, and I got this, you know, thermal current to deal with, the wind current to deal with, and what the thermal is going to be doing when it gets to be low light. Right. You know, you got to be able to predict those things. Right. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with you. It's It's once, you know, once I was able to start you know, I, and I think it's an evolution, right? I think you, you know, as a hunter, you, you start to get better at picking out spots, right? And then yeah. it, it goes from there, you know, it, it, it backtrack even further. It goes to, you know, you start off going like, I don't even know where to start. And then you start out going, okay, I know like what pieces of property are going to be decent, right? Cause I've put some time in looking around and started learning some stuff. And then you figure out, all right, now I know what areas I need to be in. And then you hunt a few more years and then you start to graduate into the, I know what tree I need to be in. And then once you start to figure that out, that's when, you know, it, and that's been an evolution for me that's really kind of started coming full circle probably the past two years where it's, I started putting myself in the right trees. Um, I would hunt an uncomfortable tree with a crooked stand if that's the tree I had to be in. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was just, um, which, you know, in, in a few years prior, it's like I may have not have done that. And I would take into consideration what the wind is going to do, what's the, what the what the thermal is going to do. And I'm not nearly as you know adept as you is trying to figure that stuff out i'm still a work in progress but um i've had the hardest part is 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 that's going to work for most guys on most deer right so they're going to think sitting back 10 yards or or just taking the other tree is is okay but one day a mature buck's going to walk out and that ain't going to work right and you got to treat that like it's something different and that's what people aren't doing is, is they're treating it like it's a deer right you know it's just the one that they want it's like it's a whole different animal, and you got to be set up for mature bucks to kill mature bucks, but you still kill the lesser ones. I mean, if you want to shoot a 120-class 8-pointer, 
I'm saying don't set up for that 120 class eight pointer. You set up for a mature buck. And if a 128 class eight pointer comes by, you can shoot it. But if you're not setting up for that mature buck, you're not going to kill him. Right. Yeah. No, and hunt. that's where you really step that, that hunting up. Otherwise you don't get past those two and three year old bucks. You just get a, you know, a nice buck every year or two. You, you got to step up to the next level. It's like stepping up to a whole different species. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, hundred percent agree, man. It's uh, it's cool to have uh, folks like you and guys on the beast to kind of help uh, help help guide us along. That's for uh, that's for sure, man. But uh, yeah, is there you know think continue to think about hill country here? Is there you know at this point I want to kind of talk about your setups on you know in hill country, and to capitalize on wind specifically. So is there any specific like I think elevation that you're looking for in terms of, you know, this part of a ridge is where you're going to, you know, I, we hear people talk about three quarters of the way up, you know, on the leeward side, you know, I just want to get a sense if you're in hill country and you, you know, where are some of the places you think are key spots to set up and just saying all things are equal and it's, it's close to a, a bedded deer. The leeward sides and rut mm-hmm. between bedding areas. And if you want to get into mature box, it's got to be thick and it's got to be close to his bedding. But leeward and in rut, mm-hmm. outside of rut, you got to look at that bedding area and decide: is he dropping or is he rising? Mm-hmm. Rising is easier if he's going up to the top from that one third, you know, the tip of the point or wherever he's bedded. It's a little easier. The points are easier to set up on because you can kind of set up to one side or the other based on the wind. And that's what, one of the things too. Uh, I think we talked in the last podcast about. Uh, about how deer move based on the wind. Right. And a lot of people, because they always sit up on top or always sit up below, they see a certain movement in wind and hill country. And it's not necessarily because that the deer always go that direction. It's because they're set up on top and deer are only bedded there when the wind's in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Right. So if a buck's only bedding there when it's a, a mature buck, is only bedding there when it's a leeward wind and he's rising and it's a point, I'm going to take a look at the wind and I'm going to get to the to whichever side is more downwind and try to ease up as close as I can along the side hill. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to end up about uh, 150, 200 yards from him. In a perfect world, I'm going to end up, you know, 50 yards from him, but it usually doesn't happen in hill country. It's harder to get close. Um, but uh, when they're dropping, um, that's a really difficult task. Because up until that last hour or half hour, depending on how steep your hill is and how the sun's going to hit it, until that thermal drop happens, your thermals are rising right up there to him. And he's looking down there. So the way I've gotten around the droppers is to, in a lot of cases, run in there at the last minute and, and uh, set up after the thermals drop. It's nice to have a stand already set up down there um, in a perfect world. Uh, or you hunt off the ground if you have to, because you ain't going to have much time to set up a stand. Um, although I've done it, but I'm pretty good at setting up a stand fast. Right. Um, have some years of experience doing that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, that thermal rise, when that turns around, you can get below them, and then they've got that belief that they've been smelling down there all day, and it's fine. And they just get up and drop down there easy. But the first thing you got to do is determine the direction. Yeah, there was, it's, I, I used that advice, um, I guess it was two years ago on a, on a buck in Ohio on, on some public land and it was during the rut. I was at that, you know, a third down from the top leeward side of a ridge 
and it was like man it's like if i could have sent you a bottle of whiskey as a thank you <laughs> i would i would have because i was in the chips all day every day for three days just buck snorting grunting sparring ripping trees up and i just parked it there and and watched them and i don't know what i don't know what it was because i was a little concerned especially when you know evening rolled around and the thermal started dropping i was pretty high up this tree and i was just just down from the top a little bit. And so I figured my thermal was good in the morning when it would start to rise. I figured it would just kind of rip right up over top the ridge and I wouldn't, nothing behind me would win me. You know what I mean? And that was kind of what played out in the evening. I was a little concerned. Um, cause I kind of went in and I did a speed scout, so I didn't know the area real well. And I was concerned as the thermals were dropping, I was going to get busted from anything below me, but it just so happened to work out. You know, it was one of those things I picked the right tree because there was a, a scrape behind me. And then there was like some transition cover to my left um, and then transition covered it right in front of me about 30 yards. And then behind me, it was just thick as thieves. And there was a pinch point between a, a drainage runoff and the top of the ridge. That was really the only place that could come through, you know, and that sure enough is where one rolled through and, and, and he got an arrow, but it was one of those things where it's like, that was literally one of the setups I heard you talk about. And I was, it, I scouted it and I walked in the first day to hunt it. And I was like, I'll be damned. I was like, here's, here's that pretty much that exact setup. And uh, and it worked. So maybe we'll have to give me your uh, your address, and I'll send you a, a complimentary uh, bottle of hooch, <laughs> you know, for for that deer. He's hanging on my wall right now. I'm looking at him. So it's a, it's a nice reminder. Um, cool. But, but uh, for hill country, man, I know we're winding down here for this one. Is there anything that you feel is critical that we've that we've overlooked at this point, or is there one thing that you would suggest if you only do one thing in hill country when playing the wind? It's this one thing to help you have more success. Well, to consider where they bed during during hill country, I don't think we really touched on that. And I know that's kind of basic, but if the guy's listening to that and he doesn't have that, he's probably confused right now. And I think that uh, if you take a, a, a topple of the area and you look at the wind and you mark all the leeward ridges, he's going to be in one of those spots. So those are the spots you got to be concerned without having the deer see you or smell you and how to hunt. And that really eliminates a lot of ground and makes it a lot less confusing because that huge map turns into a small area when you do that. Okay. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I appreciate you joining for part two and uh, talking about hunting hill country and hunting the wind in hill country. And uh, I'm looking forward to part three and uh, hunting the wind in swamps because I'm going to embark on my first swamp endeavor this year. So thanks, buddy. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Dan for joining. Be sure to visit his website, thehuntingbeast.com. It's literally like having access to a master's class in deer hunting from just about anywhere in the U.S., guys from all over the country. Uh, you won't find a better group of guys to learn deer hunting from or just kind of brush up on things that you that you already know. Also, be sure to join the Hunting Beast Facebook group. Uh, Dan's pretty active there, and the group is active there as well, so it's also a nice place to find out some information. But really, thehuntingbeast.com is the place that you you want to be to uh to get the most in-depth information a lot of great threads there uh dan is also releasing his own climbing sticks which those have released i have just seen a a message that went out that there are a handful more i think 40 sticks or 40 orders that are are remaining available or that are going to be an additional run so don't delay there you can find all that information at his website thehoneybeast.com as well uh we'd of course like to thank all of you for listening and if you haven't yet please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast we'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to 
do those two things for us. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. <laughs> All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.